Good morning. It's great to see you. Thank you for being here. We're going to open up in prayer. Brother Gerald, you come get ready to sing for us. I got a whole host of prayer requests. I'm going to ask you to be patient as I go through these. Uh, we got lots in our church who are, of course, dealing with COVID, whether them directly or in their families, and they are subsequently quarantined. So pray for all of them, if you would. Remember Brother Sam, Sister Helen King, Chelsea, of course, continuing to lift her up. Brother John, great to see you, buddy. I want to ask you to pray for Miss Godwin, Dr. Godwin's mother, some health conditions she's facing. Brother Jim Hatton's brother-in-law uh, is uh, having a very difficult time because of COVID. Uh, one of our members, Brother Bill Cheshire, his brother, Claude, went home to be with the Lord. And we just found that out this morning. And for those of you who may have been with us at the old facility back at Amazing Grace, that's Derek Cheshire's father. Uh, so we lift up that family. And then a really special request we just got a few minutes ago. Please pray for little Annabella. That is Brother and Sister Big's granddaughter. They had stopped by to see some family to drop off something yesterday. And Annabella went to hug the dog. And the dog latched onto her face and tore her up pretty badly. So please pray for Annabella, if you would. Serious condition there. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessings. Lord, we need your presence today. Lord, we are hungry people. These are trying times, yet we know we serve a good God. Lord, we've said so many times, none of this has surprised you. We are thankful, God, to be able to assemble ourselves together. We are thankful, Lord, that we can have church here in our building. And, Lord, we're also thankful for those who are joining us via live stream today. Lord, there's so many uh, that would be with us, yet they are battling physical problems. Some battling COVID, others battling other circumstances. And, Lord, we pray that very soon we'd be able to gather together as a family of faith and worship you in this wonderful building you provided. In the meantime, God, we're going to keep walking by faith, knowing that you do all things well, so we put all of this in your hand. Lord, a whole slew of prayer requests we have on our heart today. Many that we didn't go over, but all have been deposited at the throne of grace. And Lord, you've told us to leave our burdens there, and you'd pick them up and carry the need. So we're going to trust by faith and do just that. Lord, I pray your blessings now upon what happens here in our church this morning. May your son be magnified, glorified, for you've told us plainly and if your word that if we lift up Jesus, uh, he'll draw men and women, boys and girls, unto himself. So we're going to ask uh, that very thing this morning. Bless the singing, the preaching, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, pray for Brother Gerald, an apt song for where we are today. You listen as he sings.
thank you to those I've mentioned this Wednesday night who helped us uh, this year with Operation Christmas Child. We surpassed our goal. Uh, we set a goal for 200, sent 210 boxes on Monday. So thank you for your help with that. Also a reminder, no services this Wednesday night as we prepare uh, for the holiday week. And then also a reminder that if you did not receive our uh, SAGBC masks, uh, we've got those available, and if you're watching online and a part of our church family, you'll drop Miss Renee a line. We'll make sure we get those in the mail to you, uh, and then whatever we've got left, we will send those out. We've actually had some missionaries who've requested them. We're going to send them. We didn't purchase them to stay in Miss Leanne's office, so we're going to send them out. So come on, Brother Ken, whatever your name is. Come on, buddy. Let's all stand together, and we'll uh, uh, make another joyful noise. Come on, buddy. this song. The song Brother Gerald sang a moment ago is, of course, one that Renee and I wrote several years ago when a buddy of mine came to talk to me about how difficult a childhood he had because of his earthly father. And I was reminded how good our Heavenly Father is to us. Amen? And when you think about how good he's been, you're reminded that even in the darkest storms of life, he's always there. Never promised we wouldn't walk through the valley. He just said we wouldn't walk through it by ourselves. Amen? Come on, buddy.
Joshua this morning, if you would, please. Chapter number five, the book of Joshua this morning, chapter number five. 2020 is, uh, I think, going to go down as an adjective that we use to describe some pretty terrible things. Once COVID is behind us and in our rearview mirror, and that day will happen, can somebody say amen? Uh, I think we'll use 2020 to say things like, that was as bad as 2020. 2020 will soon become an adjective where we talk about how challenging it was. But it will also be a reminder to all of us that even in our most challenging moments, we serve a faithful God. Brother, would you give me just a little bit more volume, if you would, please? <clears throat> I want you to understand this morning that in the, that's great. in the midst of the battles that we face, we still serve a God who's got it all under control and reminds us to keep marching forward with Him. Last week, we talked at length about how God is capable of taking somebody like Rahab out of the house of shame and placing her in the hall of fame. We talked about how God can use the least among us, those who have the most horrible pasts and can still clean us up and transform us into his image and place us in the bloodline of his son. I tried to remind you last week, though we weren't born into God's family, thank God we were grafted into God's family. And we can stand and celebrate like Rahab uh, that though we're not everything we ought to be, we sure ain't what we used to be. I want to give you the next iteration of that message this morning of what happens following the promise that the soldiers gave to Rahab. I'll remind you that after 40 years of wilderness wandering, after walking through the desert and seeing an entire generation die out, after 40 years, the Israelites are now prepared to, to cross over into Canaan to take the land that God had prepared for them, the land that had been promised thousands of years ago to their ancestor Abraham. Finally, they're marching into the promised land, getting ready to live that celebratory, victorious life that God had prepared for them. And the first thing they encounter is the great walled city, Jericho. And it's Joshua, now the captain of the army, stands back and sees this spectacular walled city of Jericho. The first thing that he thinks to himself is, how do we conquer that? Biblical archaeologists tell us that indeed Jericho must have seemed impenetrable. Archaeologists tell us that this was a wall some 30 feet high and some 26 feet why? A imp an impenetrable fortress by all accounts. Joshua, the new leader of God's people, stands back, scratches his head, and thinks, how can we possibly defeat this city? I remind you this morning that Jericho, listen now, became the hindrance that was stopping the forward progression of God's people. God had already promised them the land. God had already told them that Jericho would fall. But, but, but now, in order for them to march forward, Joshua has to figure out how do we defeat 
this city. Listen to me carefully. I submit to you this morning that when God saves somebody, He doesn't save them to be miserable. He doesn't snatch us uh, out of Egypt. Uh, he doesn't pull us uh, out of the muck and mire of this world uh, so that we get stuck in the middle of our forward progression. God's already promised us the victory, folks. But you hear me? Just like God has given us a promise, you can mark this down, uh, that the enemy uh, will put up hindrance after hindrance after hindrance uh, and will do everything he can uh, to stop God uh, from taking his people to the promised land. You listen now. If we're going to enjoy God's best, and I don't know about you, I, but I want God's best. I want it for my church. I want it for my family. I want it for myself. I want the very best that God has to offer. But you listen to me. Here's one thing I can promise. The enemy will put up an awful lot of walls that he hopes will stop you from getting what God has for you. I submit to you this morning that maybe... Some of those walls might be some besetting sin that stands between you and everything that God has for you. You understand, church, that when you get saved, that flesh is still weak. You don't have to say amen. I'll say it for you. Amen. Your flesh is not saved. And consequently, the enemy can use that flesh to put up a wall between you and God. Might be an old hurt. That has grown into a root of bitterness. Let me, let me let you in on something. Serve God very long. Uh, serve God for any length of time. Uh, and I promise you, uh, some Christian, somebody somewhere is going to hurt your feelings. And to be very blunt with you folks, sometimes Christians will hurt you far more than the world will. Amen, Brother Greg. That's exactly right. You know, usually I go down there and say it, but I don't want to spit all over them. Amen. You see, folks, that if we're not careful, the enemy uh, will take those hurts uh, and allow them to become roots of bitterness uh, that extend into walls that keep us from enjoying what God has for us. Maybe this morning, it might be some attitude, some unforgiving spirit, pride, anger, or something from your past uh, that prohibits you from enjoying uh, the best that God has to offer. For those of us that have been in church any length of time, you recognize uh, that a pile of hurts uh, can lead uh, to a nasty, cold attitude. You hear me as well. For some this morning, the thing that stands between us and God's best uh, is simply the moment of salvation, uh, that one glorious moment of faith. May I submit to everybody this morning, whatever God has for you, you mark it down. The enemy will try to stop you from enjoying it. So what do we have to do? We got to do exactly what Joshua is about to do this morning. What he's about to learn. We got to tear down those walls. I'm going to give you a message this morning that we're entitling just that. Tearing down the walls. Begin with me, if you would, please, in chapter 5, verse number 13. If you found your place, say amen. amen. Came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, 
art thou for us or for our adversaries? You understand that's a question for which there's one of two answers. Joshua says, are you on my team or their team? Looking at this unknown person, Joshua says, and you can understand why he'd ask that. He says, you on my side or you on their side? And notice verse 14. And he, this is the man, said, nay. By the way, let me just stop and say, that wasn't one of the two choices. That wasn't one of the things that Joshua asked. And he says, nay. Look now, but as captain of the host of the Lord, in all caps, by the way, let's stop right there and say amen to that. As captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come? Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And note the next four words, And Joshua did so. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Bless the preaching. Use the outline that I believe you've laid upon our hearts to bless your people. Lord, may we recognize the need of our lives to tear down the walls that the enemy erects that keeps us from enjoying God's best for us. Lord, if there's anybody listening this morning, whether here in the sanctuary or via live stream that doesn't know you, may this be the moment, the hour, the day where they accept Christ into their heart. And for the rest of us, Lord, uh, may we walk out of here uh, like David of old saying, it was good to be in God's house today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I've been saved uh, since the tender age of seven, some 43 years. I've been pastoring now going on 20 years. Uh, I've been preaching some 25 years uh, and one of the things that I have learned, this is deep theology, get your pens out, uh, is that the enemy is just as the Bible says, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You understand that when the enemy can't have your soul, he wants to have the joy of your salvation. When the enemy can't have your spirit, he wants you to be miserable in the walk of God. And I'll say again, God didn't save anybody for them to be of all people most miserable. So to stop us in that forward momentum, he will erect walls. The enemy will erect barriers. And I submit to you that if we're going to enjoy the blessings of God, we've got to learn how to tear down those walls. Three things that I want you to note with me this morning. Number one, if we're going to tear down those walls, we've got to learn to fall at the right feet. We've got to learn to fall at the right feet. Interestingly, these verses first identify and then clarify this person that Joshua encounters outside of Jericho that day. I believe Joshua goes outside of Jericho to pray, to beseech God and ask God for clarity. How am I supposed to tackle this? How am I going to handle uh, this city? What should I do? Uh, and he's immediately uh, met with someone he's never met before. He has a very unusual encounter with this individual. 
I want you to know with me, if you would please, this man's posture. Go back, if you would please, to verse 13. Scripture says it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. I want you to note that. With his sword drawn in his hand. What an image. No wonder Joshua says you on my team are their team. Because when he sees this man, when he looks up, this is not a man who is cowering in fear. This is a man who's already got his sword drawn, and he looks like he's already ready for battle. This is a man who does not appear as some weakling, but rather has his sword out, ready to go to battle. Let me just stop a moment and remind all of us that this is someone who appears like he is ready to take on the enemy. Aren't you glad this morning you serve a God who is ready to take on every enemy that you face? I don't know about you, but it seems like the worse this world gets, the greater the enemy becomes. But I'm glad this morning that greater is he that is in me, that is in the world. There is no enemy that I face, no problem that I encounter, no situation too dire, that the God I serve is not already stronger than. Isaiah chapter 46, God speaking through Isaiah says it like this. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is none else. Amen. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. Here's my favorite part. He says in verse 11 chapter 46 of Isaiah. Yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it, uh, and I will also do it. Can I paraphrase this? God is saying, don't worry. I, I don't have to have a plan B because uh, my plan A works every single time. Amen. Notice the man's posture. Not only his posture, but notice his position, if you would. Notice his position. Understandably, when Joshua encounters this man with his sword drawn, he asks the question, art thou for us or for our adversaries? In other words, again, he says, you on my team or their team? You on my side or their side? It's a bifurcated question. Joshua expects one of two answers, them or y'all. I'm on your side, or I'm on their side. But his answer helps reveal his identity. Notice what he says in verse 14. He said, nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. May I put it to you, I think, in good old Stanley Town English, he says, I didn't come to take sides, sir. I came to take over. Amen. Amen. You prayed for direction. You prayed for guidance. You begged God to help you understand how Jericho's going to be here, how Jericho's going to be destroyed. And this person says, here's your answer. Who is he? I submit to you this morning. That his answer tells us exactly who he was. You see already that the word Lord is in capital letters. 
Those of you who've been here for a while, you've heard me talk about this at length. That lets us know that in the original, uh, it's the word Yahweh, uh, translated into Jehovah, translated correctly uh, by our King James translators into Lord with all capital letters. Uh, he's the same one who appeared into Hagar, uh, the same one who appeared to Abraham, uh, who appeared to Jacob, uh, who appeared to Moses, uh, the same one who appeared to Gideon, uh, who appeared to Isaiah, the same one uh, who showed up with the three Hebrews in the fiery furnace, uh, the same... Amen. The same one who showed up with Daniel in the lion's den. This is none other than a Christophany, a pre-incarnate Christ. Long before he was born in Bethlehem, he shows up and says, Joshua, I'm here to take over. There is a certain, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you Gregology for 30 seconds. Let me run this rabbit trail. There's a certain loneliness at times in leadership. There's a certain reality that decisions that you make have consequences. My wife has probably heard me complain about this more in the last nine months than she has in the last 25 years. I've said to her over and over, it doesn't matter what decision I make, it's not the right one. Doesn't, and that's true for any leader right now. Doesn't matter what direction you go, it's not the best direction. There's a thousand reasons to do this, a thousand reasons to do that, and no matter what you do, you get the feeling that you're letting down half the congregation. You know, I can't help but think if Joshua didn't think that to himself, thank God I'm not in this by myself, somebody's here to help me out. May I say to you this morning, uh, whether you're a leader, uh, whether you're a father, uh, whether you're a mother, uh, whether you're a teenager, uh, if you know God, uh, he's on your side and you're on his side uh, and you're not in this thing by yourself. Uh, some of you can testify uh, to how physically challenging uh, 2020 has been. Uh, you've walked those shoes. Uh, you've run that mile. Uh, and you know that you weren't in the heart. You weren't in the hospital alone. You weren't suffering alone. You always had somebody right there with you every step of the way. The man's posture. The man's position. Notice the man's power. When he says nay, that's a strange answer. But he goes on to identify himself as, quote, captain of the host. Of the Lord. That word host is a word that has changed its meaning in the 400 years since our King James translators translated our Bible. When we think about a host today, it is someone who is welcoming someone else into their home or into their presence. And that's certainly a meaning of this word. But in reality, the word host here might be translated as army or military. You know I'd never change your Bibles, but I want you to think about this for a second. When this man identifies himself, he says, I am captain of the army of the Lord. Hell man. You know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of the little song that we teach our children to sing. I may never march in the infantry, ride in the, shoot the, I may never, but I'm in the Lord's. 
I may never zoom or the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. Would you look at me? When we're in the Lord's army, uh, we ain't marching by ourselves. Uh, we got a captain uh, who's standing out in front of us. Uh, the Bible reminds us uh, that there are physical battles, uh, but there are spiritual battles. Uh, and I submit to you uh, that he is still captain uh, and he's still fighting on our side. Got to fall at the right feet. We're going to tear down the walls that the enemy erects in our lives. we got to learn to, number one, fall at the right feet. Number two, we got to learn to follow the right plan. Look at chapter 6, if you would, please. As soon as, uh, let, before we read this, let me point out something. The plan is revealed to Joshua. Only after he agrees to what the captain said. Look at the end of chapter 5, the last phrase. The place wherein thy standest is holy, and note the clause, and Joshua did so. Only after, this is good even if I am preaching it, only after Joshua gives in to the will of the commander... Does he say, now here's the plan. So often I think we beg God to reveal, but we just don't want to get in his right way. We beg God for all the answers, but we want to do it our way. You know what I've learned? We can do it our way, and we not have God's best, but when we get in his way, and we allow him to take over, what he has for us is far better than what we would have imagined ourselves. Chapter 6, verse 1. Note with me, it's a simple plan. Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. In other words, they were on lockdown. Can I get a witness? Verse 2. The Lord said unto Joshua, look at this, folks. See, I've given... Into thine hand, Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. That's a strange statement. Joshua is asking for clarity. He's asking for direction. He's saying, God, how are we supposed to tackle this city? How are we supposed to defeat it? And in verse number 2, it begins with that word, see. In other words, this simple plan is simply this. Joshua, just trust me. I got it under control. It's amazing to me that in order to defeat this great walled city, it all come down to one simple word. Faith. Faith. God says to Joshua, I've already given it to you. The king, the city, it's yours. Y'all can maybe get upset with me on this, but if I'm Joshua, I'm standing there looking at the city and I'm thinking, that ain't mine. I see walls. I see a city locked up. I see the enemy. They're ready to destroy us. How can you tell me that's already mine when I can see them trying to kill me? And what God 
through this Christophany, says to Joshua, is just trust me. Amen. You know what dawned on me this week studying for this? God did not rescue Israel out of Egypt and stand with them for 40 years in the wilderness just so they could be killed as they walked into the promised land. God did not snatch them out of 400 years of slavery, stand with them and provide them for 40 years of wilderness wandering uh, only to turn them loose uh, when they needed him most. Hey, uh, if you've been saved for a week, a month, a year, or 20, 50, 40 years, you know uh, that God did not rescue you out of this world uh, and stand with you all the way through your life to let you down now. We sing living by faith, but are we really? Trusting, providing in his great love. It's a simple plan. And I think you'd have to, amen, you know the story. Not only is it a simple plan, it's a, it's a strange plan. It's a strange plan. For the sake of time, we won't read. But you go back and you look at verse 3 down through verse 20. Joshua is a military man. And I can't help but think if Joshua did not expect there to be conversations about armor and armaments. But the captain never says a word about soldiers or swords or spears. He doesn't talk about sieges or strategies or secret weapons. When you read verse 30 through verse 20... He talks about this in this order. He talks about the Ark of the Covenant, which, by the way, represents the presence of God. He talks about the priests. He talks about the trumpets. And he talks about the people in that order. He says, Joshua, I want you to line everybody up like this. The Ark of the Covenant first, uh, the presence of God. And hoisted Joshua so that everybody can see the Ark. And then he says, uh, behind the Ark, put the priests. And in the priest's mouth, put the trumpets. And then put all the people behind them. The ark, the priests, the trumpets, the people. And every day of the week, I want you to walk around the city one time. Tell nobody to talk. Tell the kids to be quiet. The only sound that should be heard is the blowing of the trumpets out of the priest's mouth. You just walk around for one day, six days, in order one time around the city. And Joshua has to think to himself, this dude has got to be off his rocker. This dude has got to be Looney Tunes. How in the world are we going to defeat this city by walking around and everybody being quiet? You know what it boils down to, folks? Here's the seat. Shelves of Christian bookstores are lined with author after author who are trying to tell you what I'm about to tell you in 30 seconds. The secret of Christian living is to walk with God. Amen. Just start walking. I can't help but wonder if those that dwelt in Jericho weren't laughing at these Israelites. 
kind of crackpots are these Jews if they think that they're going to destroy this city by walking around in circles? Hey, that's all right. That's about what the world thinks of us anyway. It's about what they think. Look at me. I know whereof I speak. I've had far too many people who had far too many degrees. My wife says, I have enough degrees to be a thermometer. And one of the things I've realized is that the more education you get, sometimes the dumber you get. Don't you say amen to that. I've had a lot of highly educated leaders of secular institutions look at me like I was some jacked up crackpot because I stand up boldly and say I'm a Christian before I'm anything else. And you know what I've learned? Walking with God is the secret. It's a strange plan. It's a simple plan. Not only do you have to fall at the right feet, Follow the right plan, you've got to finish the right way. You see, the instructions were given about what to do on each day for the first six. And then there were some instructions about how you're going to handle the seventh day. On the seventh day, we're going to do things a little bit different, God said. On the seventh day... You're going to walk around once. You're going to walk around twice and three times and four times and five times and six times. Now, I don't know about y'all, but that sounds tiring to me. (laughs) I'm thinking to myself, uh, once is enough. I got to do this six times. This is pure Gregology, but I think I'm right. I think God wanted those Israelites to know when they are at their absolute weakest. When they cannot physically battle themselves, uh, that's when God takes over. And God says on the seventh time after you have absolutely exhausted yourself and you don't know which way to go and you don't know which way to turn, shout her out because that's when God's about to give the victory. That's what they do. They walk around one, two, three, four, five, six, as quiet as they can be, save the priest blowing the trumpets. And on the seventh time, everybody shouts her out. Everybody gives God the glory. Everybody begins to celebrate. And you know what happens? Those walls come crashing down. But hear me, just so you know it's God. You understand if the walls fall outward, the Israelites get crushed. And so what God does in his miraculous deity is he allows the city to crush. He allows the city to fall and the walls to crumble. And not one single Israelite even gets a speck of dust on them. But they're not done. Here, look at me. That was the easy part. Here comes the hard part. Because now they have to finish what God Started. Look at chapter 6, beginning in verse number 20. So the people shouted. When the priests blew the trumpets, came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. You ever seen one of those... Videos of a a building being destroyed uh, and it caves in on itself. 
In my mind, that's exactly what happened. Except there were no engineers that, prohibit, that, that set it up. It was just a good God. Just collapsed on itself. Keep reading in verse number 20. So the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. You see, folks, in order to get past Jericho and further into the promised land that God had already given them, the Israelites had to take that which had already been claimed. What do you mean, Pastor? God gave Israel complete victory over Jericho, all they had to do was walk into the city and take it. You know, we sing in churches all over America, victory in Jesus. But the truth is, uh, sitting in pew after pew after pew are people uh, who ain't experiencing victory in Jesus. I'm not questioning their salvation. But sitting in pew after pew uh, are people uh, who are being stopped by the walls of the enemy. Uh, sitting in pew after pew uh, are people uh, who are not enjoying their salvation. They're enduring their salvation. They I say to you, victory is already ours. We just need to claim it. And here's the hardest part of all. And this is why, in my humble opinion... So few people really get to experience God's best. Look, if you would, please, uh, at verse 21. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and ass with the edge of the sword. Joshua said unto the two men, that had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house, bring out thence the woman, and all that she hath, as ye swear unto her. The young man that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had and brought them, kindred out and left them without the camp of Israel. And they burnt the city with fire. And all that was therein, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and iron, they put into the treasury. Of the house of the Lord. Here's the hard part folks. And it does not sit. With our modern 21st sensibilities. God. Through the captain of the Lord's host. Reminded Joshua. Don't let anybody survive. Destroy it all. Listen to me. Baptist I hope you'll keep amen in me. The problem wasn't the city of Jericho. The problem was the people of Jericho. God knew that if they allowed those idolatrous Jericho citizens to survive, that Israel would be corrupted by that ideology. I'm going to submit to you again. This doesn't fit with 21st century sensibilities, but you hear me. This is the hard part of the Christian living. If we're going to overcome the walls, uh, sometimes uh, that means uh, we have to cut off some people uh, who are themselves the walls in our lives. That's hard, church. Sometimes it means that we have to forgive somebody even if they don't ask for it. 
You know how bad it's for you, don't you? I forgive you, but I'm never going to forget. Sometimes it means that we have to develop a new circle of friends or we have to take that spiritual mirror and let it shine upon us and realize that we've developed a nasty disposition, an ungodly attitude. Would you hear me this morning? That's the hard part of this. This is just the first battle. There'll not be any more battles if the Israelites don't do what God says. I am more convinced than ever, church, that an awful lot of believers stand outside of Jericho desiring to move forward, begging God for clarity and direction. And when he gives it, we say, hmm, don't think I want to go that. Then don't expect to go around your Jericho. Because those walls won't come down unless we follow God's plan. There's going to be an awful lot more battles. I mean, they've got AI. They've got battle after battle after battle. And in each situation, they have to stop and realize the only way we step forward is doing it God's way. What's that mean? I promise I'm done. When God gave the instructions, when God told them what to do, he said, follow this order. This path for this amount of time. Yep. This is my plan. So the question now is ours. Are we going to follow the will of God, the plan of God? Or are we going to try to figure out our own way around? You can't get around Jericho, church. Amen. The walls have to come down for us to move forward. Let's stand to our feet. Brother Ken, come get us a song to sing. Thank you for your kind attention. Thank you so much this morning. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody's looking. Let me ask you a very quick question. Nobody's looking now. Do me that if you would, please. How many of you would say this morning that you're saved, but there are some obstacles in your life, uh, some walls you are experiencing, or some direction that you need in order to take the next step. You say, Pastor, Pastor, pray for me, pray for my family, that we'll have clarity. Boy, I'm seeing an awful lot of hands go up. I appreciate that. If you're here this morning, and you've never experienced the love of a good God, I'd sure love to introduce him to you. Is there anybody here that would say, Preacher, not even sure I'm saved. Not sure that heaven would be my home. Pray for me this morning. Brother Ken's going to do one verse for us. If you raise your hand, I invite you to this altar. Uh, we'll exercise social distancing, but if you want to come to this altar, uh, it's open for you this morning. Sing for us, Brother Ken. If you raise your hand, uh, let's pray this morning.
30 seconds. Ushers, come make your way down if you would, please. Uh, we'll collect our Sunday morning offering. While they're coming, I want to say again how much I appreciate our church's continued faithfulness. We've not missed one bill, one payment, one anything to our missionaries or anything else because of your faithfulness. And I sure appreciate that. I got pastor friends who cannot stand and say that, but I want to let you know how much we appreciate it. Lord, bless the offering. God bless the gift of the giver now. And